Welcome to your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for another day. Hope you guys are gearing up for a fun weekend. First one without football in quite some time, and that's a, that's a, that's a shame. That makes people a little bit sad, but you know what? There's still plenty of other things going on in the sports world, and hopefully in your life right now. We don't need football uh, all the time, do we? We, we, can take a, we can take a little break from the games, at least. Although on this show, we're not so much taking a break from football because I will get to in a little bit. Remarks from Brian Flores and a couple from uh, from Kevin O'Connell the other day at Brian Flores' introductory news conference as defensive coordinator of the Vikings. Um, five things that I thought were pretty important from that uh, that news conference. So I'll share that with you as well as some audio clips from that here in a little bit. Randy Johnson, who covers go for uh, go for hockey and go for football, uh, will join me here in a little bit uh, later on as well to talk go for hockey. Big series for the Gophers this weekend as they as they kind of gear up for uh, you know for the the stretch run of the season and Big Ten tournament play and then eventually NCAA tournament play. They are number one in the pairwise rankings right now, so they are in line for a very good seed in the NCAA tournament. Got some Twins thoughts towards the end of the show as well, and some Timberwolves thoughts towards the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, going to spend some time at the beginning here talking about Brian Flores and his introduction as uh, as the defensive coordinator for the Vikings and some things that were said during that news conference on Wednesday. You know, one of the big questions I think a lot of us had when Flores was hired by the Vikings was, you know, why would he come here so quickly when he was a candidate for a second? And he had a second interview scheduled with the Cardinals to perhaps be there head coach, not defensive coordinator. And so that got asked pretty early on in the news conference with with Flores, and I thought he addressed it really well, just kind of talking about what the opportunity meant, what he saw here, and uh, and things of that nature. So here is that clip of Brian Flores talking about that. Yeah, I mean, there was still some uh, an opportunity with Arizona. Uh, like I said, um, you know, this was, you know, you, you, you almost you get a gut feeling. I think we've all kind of had those that um, – you know, this was the place for, for me and my family. Um, this was the right opportunity. Um, <laughs> it's funny, I was in church a couple weeks ago as this was all going on, and the pastor, uh, Brian Edmonds in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, he's, he said in life you can, there's instances where you can either have control or you can have growth, and you can't have both. Um, and that kind of, you know, that, 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 that hit me pretty, pretty good. Um, and... Uh, I just felt like this was a great opportunity for growth. And again, and again, maybe perhaps he had a sense that he wasn't going to get the Arizona job, but maybe the Arizona job's not a great one. Maybe he thought that coming here, um, being having a chance to play for, you know, not play for, coach a team that won 13 games last season, having a chance to improve a defense, a defense that was the, the main liability for this year's team, maybe that would be a better path to a better head coaching job for him at some point down the road. So I get that. I think that's a, I think that's a viable reason for wanting to come to the Vikings. And if he had a good gut feeling about this, that bodes well for this team. That bodes well for Kevin O'Connell and the rest of the Vikings. Now, more interesting and substantive uh, it was when he started talking about what he likes in a defense, talking about the characteristics of a of a defense that he would want to coach. I'm, I'm big on versatility. Um, guys being able to play multiple spots and... Um, you know, in order to do that, um, 
we got to get them coached up in those those you know those multiple spots and um, you know I'm excited to work with our staff to work with Kevin um, and you know we'll cast a wide net as far as you know the things that we want to be capable of defensively um, you know do we want to be a check team do we just want to call it and run it I mean we can get into a, a myriad of things that we could potentially do um, but you know I think right now in these early stages we'll cast a wide net and then we'll you know we'll see um, you know what we do best um, and we'll try to highlight the uh, you know the things that our players do well um, and you know try not to do some of the things that they don't do well I think that's kind of a common um, you know phrase that coaches use oftentimes I think it's something that um, we should do it makes sense to me um, but tough and smart um, I want guys that have fun um, you know again it's a it's it can be a grueling game it can be a physical game um, but um, I want our guys to have joy as they play you know and I like that answer because you know even though it's a little bit nebulous not really into specifics and we will get to some specifics here in a little bit you know I feel like it was indicative of something that wasn't always on display last year. I feel like the Vikings were kind of playing tentative at times last year, that there wasn't a lot of joy on the field because they were being asked to do things that were pretty passive, and maybe to some degree things that they didn't really believe in schematically at times under Ed Donatel. And again, this is not all Ed Donatel's fault. I think personnel was part of the problem last year as well. But if you're not playing with joy, if you're not liking what you are doing on the field, that's going to be a problem. That is going to show up in a lot of different ways, and it did for the Vikings last season. Now, schematically, you know, he talked about running different things, being a lot of, you know, being varied, being multiple, being able to do a lot of different things. But more more than anything, the message that he kept sending was that he wanted to be aggressive. And I really liked this part of his uh, this part of his answer about what what he will run defensively. He's aggressive offensively. Um, I'm aggressive defensively. That those that that kind of philosophy um, was aligned. Um, it's probably the best word to use. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, just to answer your question, yeah, I, I, by by, uh, uh, by nature, I, I like to be aggressive. Um, again, not reckless. Um, there's a there's a method to the madness. And I think aggressive but not reckless is a great philosophy and a great way to look at things. Now, you can be a blitz-heavy team, and I think Brian Flores' teams have been, you know, aggressive blitzing teams in the past. But you know, blitzing has to be has to be well timed, right? It has to be there has to be, like you said, a method to the madness. I mean, if you look at blitz rates last year, the Vikings were way down, and of course they were way up in the points allowed and the yards allowed. But guess what? Um, a team like the Cardinals, who according to Pro Football Reference had the second highest blitz rate. They also had the second most points allowed. So it's not automatic that being more aggressive makes you a better defense. You have to have the right personnel. You have to mix it up. You have to do it well in order for it to be effective. And I think that's what Brian Flores is trying to say. It doesn't mean it's going to happen next year, but his philosophy is one that you got to be aggressive, but you also have to understand how to be aggressive, and that is a good sign for the Vikings. Now, Kevin O'Connell... Uh, was was part of the news conference, obviously introducing his new coordinator. And I want to play this quote from O'Connell talking about the philosophy he has, the philosophy that's shared with Flores, and some of of some some of what he sees in this partnership. Uh, not every scenario and situation is the same, and and I think he's learned this term uh, that he used called weighty downs. I think he learned it uh, maybe from Mike T. Yeah, um, Mike but T. you know those critical downs where. 
you know, the ability of a coordinator uh, with the experience uh, that B-Flow has uh, to apply pressure to the offense in a lot of different ways. And that can look a lot of different ways, week in and week out. What are the things that we want to do to maximize our guys' chances of success um, while also, uh, in some cases, mitigating risk, but making sure that in the end, the aggressive mindset of our football philosophy that I came in here, uh, funny enough, one year ago today, and uh, introduced, it was a football philosophy. It was not an offensive philosophy. It was not uh, any other aspect than all, all 53 guys, you know, our entire roster coming together, led by us as coaches to play the game the way that, that we envision playing and, and staying true uh, to that philosophy in a way where our players live it, they breathe it, and when they get out on the field, uh, they're flying around playing fast because they've got that confidence uh, in what we're trying to do. And I do like the idea of weighty downs. I think that that's a good way to look at it. Like, you know, not all plays in the NFL are created equal. Um, you know, you get into a second and eight in the second quarter. That's not like a, a do or die situation. But you get into a third and six in the fourth quarter and you've got to get a stop. That That's a weighty down. That's where you've got to have your best thing dialed up. You've got to be understanding what the other team is doing. You've got to do something to counteract that, or you've got to bring your best pressure or your best coverage or your best combination to that mix. I didn't think the Vikings did that enough last year. I thought they were too predictable. And if that's going to be the philosophy going forward from O'Connell and uh, and Flores, that is a welcome change. Final thing, obviously there is a another piece to the Flores story. He has filed a lawsuit against the NFL. That was about a year ago alleging discrimination in their hiring practices. He was asked about that. He addressed that to a degree. Can't talk much about the lawsuit, as he said at the start of his answer, but I thought he addressed the issue well. Uh, you know, the the I understand the question. I do. Um, specific to the lawsuit, I'm not going to, you know, dive too deep into it. It's ongoing. Um, you know, professionally, um, I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. This is what I love to do. Um you know, I was talking to Tatum earlier about, um, you know, my wife's a teacher as well. Um, so we go back and forth about teaching methods. And, uh, you know, she told, she's the one who told me about IEPs, individual education pro, uh, programs. And basically every, any, every player we have has their own individual uh, program. So, um, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's what I'm, I'm, that's what I was put here to do, is to coach and to teach and, you know, make an impact. And that's where my focus always is. Um, obviously, diversity is, diversity is important to me as well. Um, I'm not going to run away from that. Um, but when I, when I walk in this building, you know, you, you see diversity really across the board. And just overall, I felt like the, the news conference was pretty impressive because it, it, it gave an impression of – a coordinator who wants to be here, who has a plan in place to go forward, and who who feels comfortable with where he has where he is at in his career, still has ambitions going forward, is not going to run away from anything, but is 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 here right now, is is trying to make an impact on the Vikings, and it could be a big could be a big lift for them in 2023. We'll see. I mean, again, the the flip side of this is that if he's you know if he doesn't have a great year then it's going to be disappointing. He'll probably still be here to a certain degree, but if he does have a great year and the Vikings turn this around, he could be a head coaching candidate in 2024, and they could be right back at this trying to find another coordinator. As Mark Craig wrote in Friday's Star Tribune, 
That's why they should be thinking about a succession plan already right now, grooming somebody to be that next defensive coordinator in case Brian Flores is not here for more than a year. But again, that would be a good problem to have for the Vikings. It would be a better problem to have than the one they had this year where they had to fire Ed Donatel because they didn't perform. If you lose a guy because you're good enough that he is then sought after by teams, that is a much better problem to have something they can deal with when and if the time arises. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. Let's bring in Randy Johnson right now, a little Gophers and college hockey talk. Randy covers a lot of different things at the Star Tribune, including Gopher football, but he also has a deep love for hockey and is doing a great job covering that team as they kind of shift into the bigger time of their season. By tournaments right around the corner, Randy, the Gophers, Miss a chance to clinch the Big Ten last weekend, but it's kind of a foregone conclusion, right, that they'll get that done at some point here. They're, they're far and away, you know, the, the best team conference record-wise in the Big Ten right now, right? Yeah, they're, they have an 11-point lead on Michigan. Uh, they could clinch as soon as tonight because Michigan plays Ohio State, and uh, the Wolverines, if they fail to get uh, a regulation win any of, in any of their last four games, that would, would uh, give the Gophers the title. Um you know, one, it, basically any scenario, the Gophers just need one point gained by themselves or one point not gained by Michigan, and they w- would at least get a tie, and they do own the tiebreaker over the Wolverines. So that would that would mean a first-round bye in the Big Ten tournament and in a, in a uh, home ice in the semifinals and final if they make it to there. And the bigger thing, obviously, is looking forward to you know, potential NCAA tournament, and they're number one in the pairwise. With the Big Ten looking quite good in the pairwise. I mean, if you look at that right now, Minnesota won, I think, you know, going into Thursday's games, Michigan was three and Penn State was five. So you got a pretty good pretty good representation there at the, at the very top. I mean, it's you know, again, we're a long ways removed from kind of the discussions we used to have about is the Big Ten good enough because three of the five best teams right now, at least according to the pairwise, are the Big Ten right now. Uh, yeah, and you basically have uh, all you have six of the seven in the top sixteen. Yes, right now that'll sort mm-hmm. itself out. But they, there's a pretty good chance that the Big Ten could get five teams in the NCAA, NCAA tournament. Um, you know, and you look at it. I mean, these these uh, are good programs. It's just the the conference kind of had to mature a bit, and uh, some teams had to uh, you know, Gophers had to get built back some prominence. Michigan to an extent. Uh, Michigan State's come on very strong this year. Ohio State's been very steady, and, and Penn State uh, you know, has shown how to, uh, you know, take a new program and take it to quick heights pretty pretty fast there. Before we get to more specific Gophers talk, what's what's going on with North Dakota this year? I see they they have a losing record. They're way down, and the they're you know probably not a tournament team at this point, not even close. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a big surprise. Uh, you know, I, there's been I know they've had some injury situations, but they just haven't gelled the way that you would think a, 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 a UND team would. Uh, in the NCHA's, uh, NCHC's tough conference, and you even see Minnesota Duluth down this year too. Um, but uh, the, basically, both those teams, North Dakota, plays St. Cloud State this weekend. Duluth is out of Denver, so if they need, if they want to make a move, now would be the time. Uh, if they could uh, beat those teams, then then you're looking into 
jump up in the pairwise a bit. So, you know, the uh, we talked earlier in the year, I think, when the, when the season was kind of starting out, there's a lot of excitement for the Gophers at that point. There was just, you know, they were kind of, you know, building up this this program and a lot of high-end young talent. It really feels like that storyline has continued throughout, uh, you know, throughout January and into February now. From where you see it, what's been the progression of this team and what are still the things to like about this team as, as you think about them going forward? Well, yeah, the the, the uh, high end skill they have, you know, it, it's very good. I mean, you guys, you look at the guys on that that top line of Logan Cooley, Matthew Nyes, and Jimmy Snuggerud. Yeah, that that's if not the best line in the country, one of the best. Um, and you know, they they have a strong second line, uh, led by Jackson Nelson, uh, Bryce Brzezinski, and Mason Nevers. That that they've been able to give my scoring, uh, complimentary scoring. They're you know very deep blue line, and that's going to be tested. Uh, uh, no, because Brock Faber, their captain, is going to be out for at least a week. And uh, freshman Ryan Chesley, will, at least into March, uh, both had upper body injuries last week at Wisconsin. So the depth will be tested. Uh, players like, like Jackson Lacombe, Mike Kester, Ryan Johnson will have to step up. You'll see Carl Fish in the lineup. Um, so, yeah, you know, a little, a little um, obstacle on their, on their way to uh, – getting ready for the for the uh, postseason as you think about the postseason i mean this is a team that's had you know went to the frozen four and you know is, is coming back now different team but as we think about being battle tested as we think about youth versus experience as we think about style of play how do you think that could and will translate once they get into these you know one and done situations once they do i mean they're a, a virtual certainty at this point to you know, to, to get a favorable high seed and to be in a good spot. But once you're, once you're there, it is one and done at that point. Yeah. The one thing I think, you know, they have, they have all the parts they need. They have strong goaltending. They have a deep blue line. They have skilled forwards all, all across and depth in, in their, in their forward lines too. Uh, the thing is they, they probably need to shore up uh, the details of their game a little bit. Uh, that's been a, a big message this week after the, the Saturday loss to Wisconsin. Um, you know, that they, uh, basically, uh, Bob Mosco was, wants his team to focus on the details. And a lot of that is, is in the defensive zone, just being, a, being able to, uh, get on, uh, guys quickly, not, not giving space and time to the opponent. Uh, that'll be, be something that they, they'll have a good chance to see how they, how they've developed in that with, at Penn state this weekend, a team that likes to shoot for pretty much anywhere and likes to shoot a lot. So a couple more things for you, Randy, enjoying this conversation. You were over at Access earlier this week. Besides from that being a theme, anything else emerging as they, you know, they go down the home stretch? I think they just have two regular season Big Ten series left, right? And then just kind of working on, you know, things to look forward to to March. What are what are some of the the talking points this week besides shoring up things after you said, right, like the the opportunity missed and the, the loss against Wisconsin last week? Yeah, getting their game to their to, to the level they want it. Um Basically, just you know, just refocusing um, and knowing the importance of, of what's coming up. You know, one one bad game can can sink sink all the hopes and all the work you've done the full the full year. Right? There, you could tell uh, yesterday at Axis that uh, you know the players and and, and Coach Mosco himself there was a little bit of burr under their saddle. They they were um, they were not happy with their play at, at Wisconsin. Even they won the opener, but were out shot shot badly, especially in the. Uh, first period is a kind of a situation where they won that game on talent but the you know in a one and done situation you, you can't just rely on that you do not want to get uh, 
fall behind in games, and they were able last year to to pull pull off the comeback uh, against UMass in that first round out out in Worcester. But uh, you know, that, that's that's not a, ever a, not always a good uh, recipe for success. That can be a characteristic of a young team, though, right? Maybe that was a good wake up call against Wisconsin. Maybe came at a time where it doesn't hurt them a whole lot, gives them something to think about. But you know, sometimes if, if a team has a lot come you know easily for them or or racking up wins like you, you there's just it's just human nature right to think okay we got this we can do this especially against teams that might not be as good so maybe that was probably a point where they could have used that reinforcement yeah it, you know you can kind of maybe able to call that a cleansing loss <laughs> sure uh, you know, it, it you know sometimes it's not easy to get a team's attention after a win you know sometimes it does have to be a loss uh you know that's that's one thing it, it it's uh you know, importing the grit into their game. I think that's what uh, Moscow wants to see more of going forward. And obviously this last, uh, this next series uh, coming up this weekend is uh, another road series, but then they've got one more at home, I believe, that's uh, to, to finish the season against Ohio State next Friday and Saturday. And, you know, 3M at Mariucci, that's been a pretty good building this year and kind of, it's been kind of nice to see, you know, the fans coming back and people getting excited about this team after, you know, I don't think it's been it hasn't it wasn't just like last year that things were you know that things had gone down but you know there was kind of a there was definitely a dip in both excitement and attendance that seems like it has returned if not all the way then a lot of the way. Yeah, it, it's it's most of the way back. Uh, they've had seven sellouts so far this season. They're they're um, hopeful to get uh, those uh, two games against Ohio State sold out too. Um, you know, it's it's been a, a really good atmosphere, especially with the student section. They 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 have come in force this year and that's that's been a, a big boost for the team sounds good rj well i'm sure there'll be more to come on this team in march and we'll check in with you then until then follow randy's coverage start tribune and start tribune.com and we will talk to you soon randy thanks a lot mike appreciate it good stuff from randy and the gophers did in fact clinch on uh, on thursday night when when michigan tied ohio state gophers uh, get their second straight big 10 championship big for them right now um, and, and, you know, and that just kind of means they're, they're playing down the stretch now for positioning for, you know, fine tuning. They can kind of work on some stuff as, as, as things go forward, still big series. Um, you know, Penn state's a very good team. It's a, it's a big series for them to kind of make sure they're, they're on the right track, still going in the right direction, but they probably won't play, a, you know, a series or, or a game that's truly, truly like you got to have this until they get to the NCAA tournament. So they got to make sure they're staying sharp. And I think Bob Motzko has the right attitude right now, but we will see how they perform until they really get into those situations. Let's turn our attention to the Timberwolves as much as you might not want me to. Timberwolves led by 20 points against the Washington Wizards on uh, on Thursday night. Final game before the All-Star break. A final chance to kind of put a stamp on this not even half of the season, not even, it's like a two-thirds of the season, more than two-thirds of the season uh, when, when you get this all-star break. But uh, a chance to, you know, to feel good about yourself going into the break. Washington, Washington, not a bad team, but a sub-500 team from the Eastern Conference at Target Center. Wolves, you know, come out really strong, making a lot of threes. Washington kind of throwing this funky zone at them, and it seemed like they had a problem with that. But things meshing early. Rudy Gobert, very engaged crashing the boards, hitting the offensive glass, hitting the defensive glass. And the Wolves just kind of seemed like, it seemed like the kind of game where they were in control all the way, even if they kind of let Washington kind of creep back in, creep back in at different moments. And then it wasn't. You know, Washington kind of got back into it really late third, 
early fourth, which is where I really thought the game turned. The, the Wolves bench gave them very little in this game. Not a good, not a good performance from a lot of their bench players. Nasri did not have a great game. I don't think Jalen Noel was all that good. Um, you know, different players just kind of struggled in that role, and they're they're kind of struggling to find defined roles right now. Things changing a little bit with rotations. And a big problem, Mike Conley Jr., the new point guard, has zero points. Jordan McLaughlin, backup point guard, had zero points. You get no points from either of your point guards. And again, I thought Conley did some good things. His chemistry with Gobert is showing up in certain ways. Made a couple nice passes to him, had lobs for dunks, things like that. But no points from Conley Jr., and that showed up really in the final four or five minutes of the game. That was the difference right there between Conley and D'Angelo Russell. Now, again, I'm not saying... This is a mistake. I'm not saying that the Wolves are worse off for having Mike Conley Jr. We've talked about that. We've talked about the reasons why the move makes sense, why the why the move should work. But in this particular game, you saw the flip side of it. You saw instances where D'Angelo Russell, another you know more confident scorer, might have stepped in and made a shot to stop the bleeding when Washington was rallying from that deficit. I think there was a seven-point lead still for the Wolves with four minutes left, and they just couldn't get much else going the rest of the way, a lot of it falling on Anthony Edwards' shoulders, and he could not do it all. Um, so you saw that kind of the, the, the same problem that maybe the Wolves had years ago when Ricky Rubio was the point guard. When you have a point guard that is not a scorer in the true sense, and Conley Jr. is not a scorer in the true sense anymore at this stage of his career, he's more of a guy who's going to set things up and run the offense, it becomes difficult in end-of-game situations now. And being a developing into more of a ball handler does help that, and he, he had another 30-plus point game. He also had six turnovers in that game. He's still he's not quite there yet as that guy who can close a game and have the ball in his hands because teams can trap him, get turnovers, things like that. He's, he's still not quite there. It's getting there. It's much better than it ever was. It's going to get there. But right now, that's still not exactly how you always want to close a game. So I think the Wolves were developing a little bit more of that closing chemistry when they had D'Angelo Russell here. Again, though, D'Lo was a bad fit in a lot of other ways. They had built this 20-point lead. This is two straight games, by the way, where they've given up a huge lead. They did manage to hold on and win against Dallas. But I think you're going to see some of these problems until they figure out what their best closing lineup is. And they certainly need more from Mike Conley Jr. in those moments. He had some chances to make some shots, just didn't do it. Did not give him very much in that game at all. Now, is it as stark? Is it as black and white as an email I got? I don't think so. Ryan wrote to me, who had written to me about uh, disagreeing with the, with the trade take I had a few, a few days ago, wrote again, said, Michael, just returned home from tonight's Wolves game. Any hope that Mike Conley would cure the Wolves' up-and-down play went out the window tonight. In case you missed it, here's his stat line. 0 for 6, 0 points in 33 minutes. That's right, 0. If we still had Russell, the Wolves win by double digits. Tim Connolly has taken a fun, exciting team last year and turned it into this mess. There is no reason to think Cat's return is going to help. The team looked even worse trying to play Cat and Gobert together early in the season. I hope you or someone in the Twin Cities media will take Tim Connolly to task for these horrible trades. Now, again, need a little bit more time. It's been three games with Mike Connolly Jr. And uh, you know, one of them was a nice win against Dallas, albeit one where they coughed up a lead and needed to hold on at the end. One of them they should have won against Washington and did not get things done down the stretch. And you got to give Washington a little bit of credit because Bradley Beal caught fire, made some big shots. Kyle Kuzma hit a huge three, a contested three that really swayed the game in the final two minutes. Again, a disappointing loss, a loss you cannot afford to have if you are a serious team, if you're a serious playoff team. But let's not 
judge this trade after three games. My goodness. Um, again, maybe maybe I'll be wrong about this. Maybe this will turn out to be a huge mistake. Maybe the only real good thing about this trade will end up being the preservation of that salary slot for another year, and they will move on from Mike Conley Jr. faster than we think. I don't know. We'll see about that. I do think they need a little time here at the break to adjust to see what they want to do with this offense going forward. I think it's way too soon to say that trade was a mistake, and I think some optimistic things from Gobert lately make you think even if they probably paid too much for him, there is still a chance that he can be a big impact player here. So let's just be a tiny bit patient as we go forward. And let's finish with the cooler. Twins, pitchers and catchers on the field Thursday. A couple good stories in the Star Tribune. Reminder of you know, what's at stake for the Twins this year, especially with the pitching staff. A good column from Jim Suhan on Tyler Malley and a piece on Kenta Maeda, both guys trying to recover from arm troubles. You know, obviously Maeda, the more serious one with the Tommy John surgery, but Malley had this, the shoulder issue after he got traded here last year. Both of them hoping to be healthy. If they get anywhere near decent health from a lot of these veteran pitchers that have been injured more or less off and on for, for a lot of the last couple of years, they could have a pretty good pitching staff. That's a reminder of that. Now, what is going on for the Twins this season? Again, we will see how that all goes. New training staff, new outlook, things like that. But you never know what is going to unfold, and that is why we watch the games. But fun to see them back on the field, fun to see some sunshine from Florida, and fun to think about what this season could be for the Twins. That will do it for me today. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back at it on Monday. A full slate of shows again next week. I'm Michael Rand. Talk to you then.